Uh, we've made it through three chapters so far, and so that's a, that's a good thing. Um, w- today, uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, we're only going to take the first six verses. So if you could follow along, I'm going to read those verses, and then we will uh, we'll go into a little bit more detail. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, let a man so consider us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that one be found faithful. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by a human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself. For I know of nothing against myself, yet I am not justified by this, but he who judges me is the Lord. Therefore, judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of the hearts. Then each one's praise will come from God. Now these things, brethren, I have figuratively transferred to myself and Apollos for your sakes, that you may learn in us not to think beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up on behalf of one against the other. So when we look at here, in chapter 3, Paul presents and presented to us the right way of how the local church was to 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 mature, to build, be built up, or to grow. And so we learn through that teaching how some of the things that were taking place in the, the Corinth uh, church, that there was some division going on because they were causing that division. It wasn't even, it, yeah, the enemy could be working through the people to cause a division, but really it's more the people allowed the things of the world to creep into their head and to see things from a worldly perspective. And they started picking and choosing who their, their, their favorite teacher, or their favorite pe- preacher, or that favorite this or favorite that. The clique started developing in the church. It should not happen. It's a family. There should not be cliques within it. Schools, you can expect it, right? Even neighborhoods, you can kind of expect it. But it should not happen within the family. A family shouldn't have cliques. You know, but, but, but that's how the things work, does it not? The kids even, if you have a more than one child, and even one child can be a challenge sometimes in a family where they have a favoritism of one child over another from a parent. That should not happen. The father shouldn't favor just the boys and the mom's favoring just the girls or those guys. Those should never happen in a, in a family. Or the children says, oh, uh, let's go to dad because dad always can crush. You know, we can get him to do whatever, you know. But don't go see mom because mom stands firm. Now, you wouldn't want to do that because then that would cause division between mom and dad. Have you figured that out yet in, as a parent? If you're a new parent, you'll figure it out very quickly. The kids will do it very quickly. They'll figure out how to pin you. To be. Well, mom said, guys, word of caution. If any child, I, Heather and Sarah learn very quickly. 
And they came to me and, oh, Dad. No. Well, we didn't even ask you yet. I already know. Does no, because I can just sense that something is going to be. I'm going to. No, no. What did your mom say? Well, we haven't asked. Mom. Well, <laughs> let's talk it through. But we'll, I have to talk to mom first. You learn it very quickly. Why? Because division would happen in the family if you do not. And we learned last week that's exactly what was happening in the church, in the Corinthian churches. They were starting to cause division because they were picking and choosing which leader they think should be the one leading. Because they were able to get what they want through that. And we will see that today as we look at chapter 4. Paul's going to present three views or three characteristics of a leader or the minister or the pastor should have in the ministry. And the first one we're going to see today is a faithful steward. That's what's the title today. And we're going to see the very first one of the three of this chapter 4 is faithfulness must be a characteristic in the leader, in the minister. That's the responsibility of a servant. The measurement of a Christian service is always about faithfulness. If someone you look and say, he's a, faith, he's a servant here, you always want to measure and look and see if that person is faithful is one of the key characteristics. Are they showing up when they say they're showing up? Is there yes or yes or no, they're no? Are they following through? Are they coming back through? Are they looking, is it self-driven or is it faithful using God's giving them the faith and building their faith up to do the service that he's called them to do? And faithfulness is a key to the ministry. And if anyone is called and believe they're called to be a deacon or an elder or any kind of position of authority of a coordinator, the key number one characteristic that I'm looking for in that leader is faithfulness because God has it right here as one example is faithful stewards is key in the ministry remember it is important we avoid extremes when it comes to evaluating men and their ministries we can be indifferent and accept anybody at one pendulum swing oh, we'll take anybody Someone walks in, they declare anything, they say anything, they, it looks like they sound good, they smell good. Oh, yeah, they'll be a ministry, no problem. With no evaluation or measurement of their faithfulness. They're just a warm body willing to do something. That's not a, that's not a qualification, you know that. Matter of fact, the weaker you are, the better you are <laughs> in the ministry. Because you walk in, you think you're strong, and you've got it all dialed in, and I've done this, and I've done it. You've got your credentials and your little, your little um, symbols and MBAs and everything else on the back of your name is probably why you disqualify in the ministry. <laughs> because you rely upon the things of the wisdom of man and not the wisdom of God in serving his people. That's why in the first three chapters and into chapter four is all about division, right? The first four chapters are all about division within the church. And Paul outlines these issues, but in the remaining of, you know, chapter six and going into to, at the last chapter 16, it's all about answers and solutions. But right here we can see that you can have a pendulumship of I'll accept anybody and whoever says it and wants to do it, they can do it. But then you get to the other side of the pendulum and you've got a whole other extreme on the other side where people are so critical, hypercritical about every symbol and word you say 
that they'll, even Paul wouldn't even qualify it to be in the ministry for some of the people. Because they're so hypercritical of every little detail about that man. Every, they're trying, always looking for fault. They come in every day and they sit and all they're looking for is being critical of looking at what your mistakes you're going to find that can catch you. I assure you, if you're around here long enough, I'll give you the list. You don't have to spend time and energy. I'd rather you listen and I'll give you the list of all my problems. That's no problem for me. Because we're all weak men and women, are we not? Are we all looking and at different stages of God doing a transformation in our lives? We're not complete yet until we're in, in, his, in his presence. So we'll always find. And, the, and, and for some of you who are new believers and you think, oh, I can't wait till I'm six months into this journey or a year in this journey or five years in this journey. No, 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 it gets worse. <laughs> when you're at 20 years, you're going to go, you really see how sinful you are. And how weak and incomplete you are. The more you are on this journey. Because God's just taking you deeper and deeper and more refined. And the light gets brighter. And the lighter gets brighter. It shows more impurities, does it not? Keep the, keep the light dims and you don't see all the imperfections. But you turn the light on bright and you, then you start putting a spotlight on things. And all of a sudden, oh, I didn't realize how dirty that kitchen really was. Turn the lights back off, please. But that's what happens. And so as we see this, the people were really, yes, we're supposed to test the spirits. Don't get me wrong. You test the spirit of, the, of, a, of a man or a woman in service. We see that in 1 John 4, verses 1 through 6 and 2 John. But we must be careful not to grieve the spirit as we do at times. And sometimes we hold back the Holy Spirit doing a work because we're so hypercritical uh, in, in and around the ministry. But Paul here presents to us today in the very, very first uh, six verses, and he's going to address all these factions, these, these cliques, these, these little groups that were trying to cause, it was causing division. He's going to address right, full force, straight on. He's not going to uh, soft coat this. So for those of you who are, who are a little tender today, uh, you know, it's okay. Lord will, 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 will cushion and comfort you and love you here in a minute. But it's going to be very clear because Paul is very going to deal with this issue of division because it's, it shouldn't happen within the family. It starts here in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1. He says, let a man so consider us. For you men and women looking at the ministers, pastors, preachers, those who are in positions of leaderships in the churches, in the synagogues, and whatever, Consider us, he says. He says, as servants of Christ. We're not servants of you. We're not servants of man. We're not servants of, of the government. We're not servants of anybody, but we're servants of Christ. We're accountable to Christ. We're not accountable to you. Do you understand that? We're not accountable to the government. But at the same time, we do have accountability, right? The government does say that we must operate a nonprofit if we're a 501c3. We must do it in the, according to the laws of the land. So there is accountability, don't get me wrong. But we do that. We don't, that doesn't energize us. That's not what makes us get prepare every Sunday. It doesn't make us get out of our comforts and go see the sick and, 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 and do the, the funerals and the marriages. That doesn't drive us because the government says we have to do it. 
Now, don't get me wrong, in some countries, that's exactly why they do it. Because they're a state-run government church. But we do it because, his, Paul says, we're servants of Christ. Because our Lord says, this is what I've called you to do, regardless of how you feel. So he made that very clear. We're servants. We're slaves. In the original language, means you're a slave. Now, this particular word, the normal 800 times that a servant is referenced in the scripture is doulos, which is the lowest servant. But here it is, it is a different word, hypertes, which means a, 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 a slave that was in the Roman galleys underneath rowing the boats. So when the, when the um, captain would say, more speed, more speed, that slave would pick up more speed and they would row because they were driving that boat forward based on what the, the leader, the captain, was saying. So Paul is saying, we are, are these type of slaves, these servants, who listens to our master. And when he says, row faster, we row faster. When he says stop rowing, we stop rowing. We're going to go starboard to, little, starboard to, to, to left or to the right. Whatever we're going to do, we listen to the captain of the ship. We don't listen to the others around screaming and yelling, go faster or slower. We listen to the captain. Are you with me? He also says, not only are we servants of Christ, but we're also stewards, managers of the mysteries of God. So that's a second-fold responsibility Paul is saying to the people here. Not only do we keep our eyes and our ears focused on what Christ wants us to do, but we also are going to be good managers with the resources and the things he's called us to do it with. We spend the money, we spend the time, we spend the energy, we teach the word, the truth of God, the mysteries of God, the truths of God, and we are good managers or good stewards. Or in this case, we're going to be faithful stewards in teaching the word of God. Very clear for the what Paul is saying to those in the Corinthian church. When you look upon us as leaders, when you look upon us as ministers, as, as, the, as Paul and Apollos and, and Cephas or Peter, another name for Peter, that when you look at us, we have just two really main focused here. We're going to be servants of Christ, do whatever he tells us to do and how he wants us to do it, and we're going to be good managers and we're going to make sure we're faithful stewards in teaching the word of God. Very simple. Not always easy. <laughs> Not always easy. Because of the things that go on and the pressures and the things that can happen to pull you away from those two primary focuses as Paul talks about. And then he says, moreover, Verse 2, it is required in stewards that one be found faithful. Did you see that word, moreover? The umbrella. 
the, the covering of everything that these we're supposed to do in the ministry. You and I, as you're out, because it's just not just talking about me. It's talking about you too as you serve the Lord, as, as being a servant in whatever God's called you to do, and you being a good steward, a faithful steward in whatever God's calling you to do. You, as a whole umbrella, are you faithful as a steward? Are you going to be faithful? Because it's a requirement. It's not an option, people. There's not an option for you to say, I don't feel like it today. They, 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 I, I'm just a little torque with them. I'm not going to help them out. Because they just they looked at me with crossed eyes, like I could tell. That doesn't change us, does it? Because if you are a servant with your eyes on the people, that's what happens to you and I. We'll get cross-eyed a little bit, and we're not, we stop becoming faithful in what God's called us to do. But when we're servants of Christ, it doesn't matter what the people say or do. We only are, we, we're, we're obedient in immediate obedience to who? To our Lord. He's our Lord. She's not our Lord. He's certainly not our Lord, as much as they would like to be your Lord. <laughs> you know, I, kids have to come up with a clue sometimes, right? Kids think they're the lords of the house. And sometimes, parents, you let them be lord of the house. And you wonder why you have division and causing problems in the house. God's called you as the parents to be the head of the house. There's order within the house. And when you're outside of God's order, you're going to have chaos. It's the same thing in the ministry. If you're out of order, there's going to be chaos. God has a, is a God of order. And so what happens is, is you have to do it God's way, keeping your eyes on Christ and being obedient to what his scriptures tell us. If his scriptures say go left, it doesn't matter how I feel or anyone else feels, we're going to go left. If he says stand still, stand firm, do not change, it's non-negotiable, uh, foundational Christian truth, it's not negotiable for you and I to, to think any other way. Even though when we watch our brothers and sisters and possibly in other denominations are changing what the scriptures say. We can't go with them. We, we can't put our eyes on that denomination or that leader or that latest and greatest teacher that we see on YouTube. You and I are to focus on what the word of God says and that's where we stay firm. That's where we stay Stay tight with. Because we'll never go wrong if we keep our eyes uh, on what the scriptures say. That's the mysteries of, the, of, the, of God. Is it, We want that truth to come out and we will continue to row faithfully in the direction that God has called us to do. Because the steward was the master's deputy in regulating the concerns of the family. That steward would determine when the food was issued out, how it was stored, when how much was coming to each person. The, 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 serv the steward was overseeing the master's family and making sure everything was running smoothly and efficiently. 
serving at proper times, at certain seasons. He would receive all the cash. He would expend all that out. He was accountable because the master was only a matter of time would ask the steward, lay it all out for me. I want to take account of where all the money went and where all the food storage and everything else. I'm going to lay it out for me. And he was accountable as a steward. So Paul was saying, as apostles, we manage the household of God. We manage the, as stewards of the mysteries of God. We manage in, in the perceiving and the protecting and the dispensing or the distributing of the truth of God. We make sure we do as, as best as God given us and filled with the Holy Spirit to teach the word and teach it simply and teach it clearly so that people can receive and understand and apply to their life. That's what Paul is saying here. And whenever Paul would hear criticism of his style of teaching or his manner of ministering, he could simply ask the question, did I give you the truth? Did I give them the truth in this situation that I'm being, critical, being criticized for? And as a good steward, if he could sit there and say, God, did I completely clearly give, you, give the truth? Yes, it didn't matter what the criticism happened. He understood he could sleep very soundly that he knew he was giving out clearly as a good steward, a faithful steward, the truths of God. And he could sleep. He can rest. He had peace. There's joy. Even though the criticisms will come. Because he understood that. And, he, and Paul understood the criticism because he was criticized constantly of his, his uh, position that God has put him in. And he says it is a required in the servants that one be found faithful. This is a key characteristic of a steward. We're to be efficient managers of the master's resources. The steward never owned any resources. Remember, the slave, the steward, was never in owning of any of it. They didn't own the property. They didn't own the resources. They didn't own any of that. He just simply dealt with faithfully how to distribute out and do it properly. But he had to be faithful. Remember Joseph? He was a steward of the Potiphar's household, Genesis 39. He was faithful. He did exactly what he was supposed to do, but he didn't own anything. He was a slave. He was a, he was a steward of Potiphar's house. The church is the household of faith. In Galatians 6.10, we're as a church are to be faithful. The ministers are stewards who share God's wealth with the family, Matthew 13.52. And when he refers to God's wealth, he's referring to here as Paul's referring to it as well. The spiritual wealth is the mysteries of God, the things of God, the deeper things of God. That's, you're supposed to be faithful in that. The responsibility of the steward is to be faithful to his master. His steward is not there to please the members of the household. That's not his job is to please the, all the household. He's never going to please everyone in the household. He may not even please some of the other servants who are working beside him and helping to do these things. He's made, he's not, her, his job is not to please all the servants. But he is to please his own master. He is supposed to be a good steward. 
Anyone who is put in a position, I don't care what ministry you're in charge of or, the, or, uh, or if you're, a, or if you're a, a pastor, you oversee a church. When you start trying to please the family and please those who are uh, other elders or deacons and, and pleasing them, and that's where your eyes are focused. How am I going to please everyone? You are in wrong position. You're a servant of Christ. You're to be a faithful steward with the resources he's given you and the positions and responsibilities. You are not to take your eyes and be swayed by others who are trying to manipulate you and get you to do things because they want to be happy and pleased. Because many times in the positions of a steward, you're going to have to make right decisions and they're not going to be happy with those decisions. Are you with me, everybody? But as long as you do it because you serve Christ and you're in line with the scriptures, you're being a faithful steward, regardless of even the criticisms that will come your way. Stay focused. Even if your kids criticize you as a parent, you're old-fashioned. Oh, your old ways. Oh, you have no idea what the latest mom and dad is. You will be criticized. But if you're a good steward of what God has asked you to do, you're not there to please your children. You're there to please God. Are you with me, parents? You are to be a good steward of the position of the calling that God has called you, and that is to be a good Mother, a good wife, a good father, a good husband. You're to be faithful stewards, my people. I can't say it as, as lovingly as I can to you as, as brothers and sisters. Men, you will be held responsible for what takes place in your household. And God's word is there to help you. Ladies, I know the challenges that can come in the most critical, most precious role that you play. But the Spirit of God, the truths of God, are there for you to successfully be a good steward of that position he's called you to be. He will equip you and strengthen you to do the work he's called you to do. He is faithful. We are not always faithful, are we? But he is always faithful, and he will help you. Now, we see here that Paul is addressing those who seem to always be critical or testing one's evaluation or another in the ministry. Paul's testing, he's saying, don't test me because I've gone viral on the web and everyone's watching me and I've got two million and I'm popular. That's what you're, no, no, you don't base my effectiveness in this as a steward because I've gone viral or I've got a best-selling books out on the market today. That's why you want me to be your pastor. No, 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 no. That is not the evaluation. It's not even based on Apollos. Because he's a better preacher or a better teacher. Because he can pronounce the Greek words and the Hebrew words and every other word so clearly. That is not what 
Paul is saying, and that's not what the scripture says, that you determine a faithful steward. A steward is to be based if he's going to be faithful or not. That is what's critical. Now, Jesus has the same testimony when he told the parable that's recorded in Luke chapter 12, verses 41 through 48. If a servant of God is faithful in his personal life, faithful in his home life, faithful in his ministry of the word, then he is considered a faithful steward and will be adequately rewarded, as the scripture says, in heaven. Faithfulness. But a servant will and is consistently judged, is he not? You're under the microscope by your kids. You're under the microscope even by other parents. You're under the, I'm under the microscope of you as the congregation. And there's judgment that happens, and people sometimes criticizes and comes against you. And Paul addresses that here in verse 3. He says, but with me it is very small thing that I should be judged by you or by a human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself. For I know nothing against myself, yet I am not justified by this. But he who judges me is the Lord. Therefore, judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of the hearts. Then each one's praise will come from God. So we see three things here. First, he says, first, you're going to be judged by man's judgment. Man's judgment is coming up to the ministers. Those in position, it, you're going to be judged. Right there in the very, very first part of, of verse 3. He says, in the very small things, I should be judged by you or by the human court. Paul says, hey, wait a minute here. They, you can sit there and judge me from a, uh, you know, from a low perspective or a high perspective. I don't care what you do and how you're judging me, but what's important is how God sees what I'm doing. And the reason is sometimes is he says, I'm not going to be judged by you or I'm not going to be judged by a group of you coming against me. That's what he's mean by a court or a grouping of this, this group of this click on. I, we, let's come and go against this minister. He says, I'm not going to be judged by you because I'm, I'm judged by God himself. I I'm, I'm don't even judge myself. So who do you think you're going to judge me? Because when I look at this and I look at what I'm doing, am I being faithful in what God's called me to do according to the word of God? But the problem is when people come to judge you or a group of people come to judge you, they typically are judging you based on not what the word of God says. They usually do one of two things. Oh, the real spiritual ones will bring you the scriptures and they'll twist the scriptures to fit their justification to judge you. Even though they're not in context. Or you get the other ones who really don't care about the word of God and they'll judge you from a human perspective. Their perceptions, their, their expectations that are more than what they should be judging you upon. If you're looking for a minister to be perfect, you're going to be let down. Of course, if you want someone perfect, you're going to always be judged by that person. Because why? Because you and I are not perfect. <laughs> right? You're not going to be on track 
There's going to be times where we're weak. There's going to be times where we go. But there should be a balance on that. You should be seeking the Lord. But the Paul is saying, I'm not going to, should I be judged by you or even a group of you, a court? He says, I don't even judge myself. Can or should every Christian today have that same attitude? Should we have no or little regard of what other Christians think about us? Or just say, you know, he judges me and is only the Lord and no one else can judge me? But Paul's perspective here, his full perspective as an apostle, is trying to help them understand. Be very careful that in your, your looseness of just judging Judging me and Apollos or, or Peter. Take it to the Lord. Put it in perspective of, of are we going out off track with the word? If it's not out, outside the line, be very careful how you judge. You know, later on we'll see in the rest of this, this chapter that Paul reminds them that he is like a father to them. And as a father... In his position that he God has put him in over in of those people like they're his children, because of the father, he has the right to correct their behavior. It, you know, put it in perspective. Children will some say, "Well, who are you to correct me? I'm your father. I have the right to correct your behavior, regardless of how you feel." And if, just because you've turned 10 and you think you've arrived and know it all doesn't change the fact that I'm your father. If you're here and I come and I, God is using me to correct your behavior, it's like a father to the children. Just recognize God put me in a position to lovingly correct your behavior. It's okay. God is using that in your life. It's a different world that we live in here, and, and some people don't want to be corrected. But if the word of God corrects us, let the word of God correct us, because it's going to be for our good, is it not? Because we don't want to stay the way we are. We already know we're messed up. We need to be corrected and changed. Now, the second thing he showed us in these verses is not only that we're going to become Man's going to judge us. But we see in the end of verse 3 and the first part of verse 4 that we're, comes self-judgment. And the fact that he says, I don't even judge myself, he under, he, he, our estimation of ourself is usually wrong. Because typically, one of the things we have is we're very, very hard on ourselves, or we find ourselves way too easy on ourselves. Usually we're extreme about ourselves, and everyone has different personalities, and it's usually those personalities drive some of that times. And you'll ask someone, oh, and they'll just, they are just so down on themselves. Like, you're, 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 you're putting way too much on you. You're not going to be perfect. You're not going to be always get a straight A and an A-plus kind of student, okay? There's times where you're going to get an A-minus, but it's okay, you're, you learn from it, you grow, you move. And then you get some who say, oh, an F? I'm doing good. I showed, up at, I showed up at school. Are you kidding me? You know, I showed up at church on Sunday. Once, in, once a year, twice a year, I, I'm, I'm doing really good. 
See, what, see how we can be that? So Paul is understanding that, you know, Paul recognized this and, and, and the fact that he can't judge himself because he doesn't even know his own heart. Only God knows his heart. And then he says, I'm going to let God do the work in me and let him convict me and change me and to know. Because knowing, you know, any, how can you justify thinking you know clearly you don't even know your own heart. How do you think you even know the heart of another person? It puts you in a position where you can then judge them. Because he understands. He recognizes he does not stand in a perfect state of justification. He says, for I know nothing against myself, yet I am not justified by this. Just because I know that I'm doing what God's called me to do, I'm being faithful in that, I'm, I'm, I'm just doing exactly what God's called me to do, doesn't mean I'm somehow arrived that I'm perfect. I'm not justified by that. I'm not, he's not saying that I'm innocent because of that. I, he says, I, I want to be, be blameless in these things that God's called me to do. And, I, and I'm doing as best I can by the power of the Holy Spirit to do and be faithful as a steward of what God's called me to do. And just because my conscience is clear, I don't think I've already spiritually arrived. Because Paul knew his righteousness came from Jesus and Jesus alone and not from his own personal, own personal life or his own personal conscience, even though he had been walking a godly walk. Because there's a fine line between a clear conscience and a self-righteous attitude. You can have a clear conscience. I know that I'm... I'm, 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 I'm I know that I'm seeking God and I'm uh, and I'm, I'm walking what God's called me to do and I and I keep every my focus is on Him. I'm not you know got my eyes and false idols and other gods and stuff and myself. And you have a clear conscience, but some people can go beyond that and have a self righteous uh, spiritual pride attitude that thinks that they've already arrived and they have the justification and position to critically and judge you. But that's not true. Be very careful of that self-righteousness that religious people find themselves in many times. We do not want to be religious, self-righteous people like the, the Pharisees, those whitewashed tombs. But hearts of compassion and, and clear conscience of knowing that you're seeking after God and wanting to live after God. Now the third thing he brings up at the end of verse 4 is a that God's judgment will come. That therefore judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes. It is as if Paul is saying here, you Corinthians like, act like judges at some athletic event. You're so good at being a judge at the athletic event there in Rome. Qualified to give some the trophy and send others as losers and send them away. But Jesus is the only judge, and you are judging before the events are over. You're judging that person before they have completely, God has done a work in their lives. God, when they get judged is when they're in the presence of Jesus, and that Jesus will do the judgment. The event's not over yet. You may think it is in, in your head, but it's not over yet. Let God do that judgment. The local church is a family, and members of the family must help each other to grow. 
There is a place, a, t- a way and a time of honest and loving criticism that you can come along lovingly to someone, and we see that in Ephesians 4.15. We can be fruit inspectors. We can see things, and when God puts on our heart, we come with the right heart to come and loving, decide to help someone to grow and to, uh, to understand. And if the critics are right... Those who come alongside lovingly and say this is what we're seeing, and if it's in, and if they do it because they want to help you, there will be peace and joy that will come from that interaction. But if there's not peace and not joy, and they're not using scriptures to do it, you do not receive it. Because if that person is wrong, and if he is teachable then you can then correct that person and help them understand why they shouldn't be judging that way because it's not right. But if they're not teachable, they're not willing to receive, then it's hard to help them, isn't it? But Paul reminds his readers that God is the one that's going to be who will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of men's hearts. He will be the one that reveals and says, you know, when you did that, I know your motive, Corey. That was no Gouda. That is no Gouda. Over here, you thought you really messed up. You actually had the right heart and the right motive. That I'm going to reward. That actually blessed. You didn't see the outcome, but that person walked away from that situation, and actually their lives changed, and they've been serving and living for me because of that interaction that you thought failed. That actually you did it out of love and the right motive. And now I'm going to reward you for that. Because it's about the right attitude and the motive of why you are doing it. But if you love God and you're loving others, you'll stay in line. There's another reason why human judgment is often wrong. And why Paul feels free to disregard the uh, harsh judgment that his critics were doing. And that critical spirit that was coming from certain people in the church is that the Corinthian Christians were not in line or walking according to what the God says in his word. Certainly God judges us today through his word, Hebrews 4.12, don't get me wrong. And by the ministry of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit convicts us, and that's what we want to have happen. That's why we come, we sit here on a Sundays, we want to be con- convicted, we want to be changed by and hearing of through, through the word of God. But sometimes he uses the ministry of loving friends. To help us face and confess sin. We see that in Matthew 18, verses 15 and 17. But here, Paul is referencing the final evaluation. The day of judgment that we saw in chapter 3. The, the Bema seat. Where Christians will stand at the judgment seat of Christ. Romans 14, 10, 2 Corinthians 5, 10. And that's where the truth will come out after the fire tests all things and it is revealing what is left that will be rewarded by God as a faithful servant, as a faithful steward. And then we see at the very end, everyone's praise will come from God. Where do we want to receive our praise? From God. We don't want, we're not looking to get praise from people. We want the praise coming from our God because we have been faithful stewards. Because we'll be highly disappointed if you're looking for people to praise you. 
That is not what we look for. Yes, it will come. It will happen because people are out of love. It's going to want to lovingly let you know and uh, thank you for the, what God is doing in your life. Receive it with gladness and thank God and praise God for, for the God do, using you. But don't look for that. That's not what charges you. That's what doesn't energize you. Being a faithful steward is what should energize you every day. As a mom, as a dad, as a, as a, as a leader, as a, whatever, as a minister, as a coordinator, whatever God has put you in a, in a position to, to, to do. And then finally here, we'll wrap up here in verse 6. Paul closes this section with a heavy rebuke on these people. These very spiritual, prideful Corinthian believers, he really nails them here on verse 6. He says, now these things, everything I just talked about, how you're judging, how you see the leaders in the ministry, and you're wrong, and, and how your perspective is, and it's causing division. He says, now these things, brethren, I have figuratively transferred to myself and Apollos for your sakes. Again, his heart is worth, I'm doing this out of your sake, out of your help. That you may learn in us, not to think beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up. See, here's the problem that they had. Those who were criticizing were spiritually puffed up. They think they already knew it all. And that they could tell you. Because they're more spiritual than you. But he said, none of you may be puffed up on behalf of one against the other. Your puffing up is causing division within the church. And that's no good. It cannot happen. He, so he says, I, in these few verses, this, these, these few verses of this chapter, Paul has spoken of the apostles being servants and stewards. And he doesn't mean this in a literal way, but in a figurative way, he says to these Corinthian, uh, Corinthian Christians, so that they would learn a more proper way to see a view of apostles and Christian leaders or ministers. This is the proper way to measure, to look, and to evaluate the ministers in the, in the church. That you may learn in us not to think beyond what is written. Paul's hopes is that writing would hope to correct these Corinthian uh, Christians to learn to keep their thinking biblically. Their actions are walking from a biblical worldview, not a, a man's worldview. Because what happens is judgment or challenges or vision will happen when people have a man's worldview of how you should act and behave versus a biblical worldview. You're, you're, you have to have your Bible glasses on and have a view of seeing clearly of what, how God sees things should be. And in how God sees it, that's how we need to see it. Not how man sees it. And when we learn and mature and grow to see it from God's viewpoint, then you'll find that we'll lean more on grace and not judgment. More on love than critical spirit. More passion of coming alongside and painfully listening and taking them through the mud, helping them getting out of that mire ushering them along in life again and again and again, even though they keep making the same mistakes. And like a parent, will our kids ever learn? Have you ever said that? Are they getting it? We keep teaching it, but they seem to not get it. Why is it? 
Well, you need to trust that God is doing a work and he's going to continue to use it. Just faithfully be a good steward and get back up and teach him again. But first, you must be the role model. You must demonstrate it. And they will eventually, they will apply it, they will get it, and then it is nothing better than when you hear that they're walking the ways of the Lord. And then when they get older, you start hearing that your children actually are teaching the things that they were taught. It's a beautiful thing. It's great when you're at my age and and Kathleen and I can look back and see. But it's hard when you have kids that are young. As a minister, as it's like in 3 John where you, you know, he's basically saying that there, there's nothing more beautiful than to watch your children walk according to the truths of God. But so long you have to, are they going to get it? Are they going to mature? Are they going to grow? Are they going to serve? Are they going to be faithful in the things that God is, going to, is calling them to do? And you just continue to know that the Spirit of God is doing a work. We have a blessing now that we hear people now, some of the people that we are able to minister to for two or three, two and a half years, and they got out of the military, they're now elders and they're deacons and they're serving in other churches around the world. It's a beautiful thing to hear that because God is doing a great work in their lives. But he's saying, I'm I'm, I'm lovingly coming alongside you guys. I'm trying to tell you, you need to change your view. You must look at the leaders in the church from a biblical worldview. Stop judging them from your perspective. Many people today evaluate a pastor or a minister on unbiblical standards. They judge them based on their humor or they're not humorous. That they're not entertainment enough. Or their appearance, their skills at marketing and sales, and what they will allow you to freely do or not do. And so many times we find that people say, I want this leader to be exactly the way I want them to be. We want a Saul, we want a tall guy powerful, mighty, that overpowers and has a presence about him. And God says, no, I want a little David. See, we have to be very careful of what we set in our minds that person is to be versus what God says. And the first thing is, is that minister faithful steward of what God's called him to do? That's the first measure. We will see, Lord willing, in the next couple of weeks, next week and the following week or whatever next week, maybe we'll get through the rest of the chapter, but we'll see the other two characteristics. So read ahead and see what those are, and we will discuss those in our next Bible study.